God gave them up. He gave them up to it. He withdrew right. the light, the light of that knowledge that they had. He said, if you don't want it, I will take it back and you can be left to your delusions in the darkness. And so, yeah, this isn't this isn't God causing the deception or doing the deceiving. It's him giving them up over to it as a natural consequence of choices they had made prior. Just whenever I was listening to you, I, I put my Calvinist hat on for a second, like you and Flower, uh, Dr. Flowers did in the episode. And the verse that came to mind was 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, thir- or 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, 11. 11. Yeah, yeah. 11 I've got pulled out too. Okay, okay, cool. So let me just read this, and I'm I'm curious how you would understand this passage. Uh, yeah, let, yeah, let me just read it. Uh, I'm And I'm reading out of the New King James Version uh, for anybody that's following along and wants to follow along. So I'll start in verse 9 uh, just to get some context. Uh, the coming of the lawless one, Paul writes, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And what's interesting to me it seems like there's a contrast being happened because he he uses the word deception in accord with Satan, right? But then comes back and says, but God sends on these people a strong delusion that they should believe uh, what is a lie, uh, Paul Paul defines as a lie. And so I'm just curious, Phil, where would you, how, if if you were talking to Israel at this point and he brought up this passage, and says, well, see, God deceives people. God sends on them delusions. And because they believe the lie, that by definition is deception. God is deceiving these people. How would you argue that from this passage? Well, I address this in the book. Um, and if one thing we could do is I could just simply share what I wrote in the book about this. Of course. Um, if you don't mind, um, um, here's what I wrote. Um, who deceived those who refused to love the truth? Was it God? If it was any more obvious that it was not, it would set our hair on fire. It was the wickedness of how Satan works that deceives those who are perishing. That's exactly what the text actually says. Wickedness is what deceives, not God. Verse 11 begins with the phrase, for this reason, meaning that the the causal sequence is this. One, The lawless one comes in accordance with how Satan works. Two, the lawless one uses displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. Three, those means are the ways wickedness deceives those who are perishing. Four, they perish because they refuse to love the truth. Five, for for the above reason, God sends a powerful delusion, not a deception, a delusion, so that they may believe the lie that they had already chosen as a result of wicked influence to ultimately follow by refusing to love the truth. Um, We should also note, as we have elsewhere, that there's nothing in this passage indicate that this was not a freedom permitting circumstance. Mm -hmm. People refused to love the truth on their own libertarian choice. 
and those who were, who were deceived actually did this to themselves, it was not a determining necessity on God's part. Had they not refused to love the truth by their own uncoerced choice, they would not have been deceived, and therefore God would not have sent the powerful delusion. Um, Leighton and I had a conversation um, about a year ago in Denver um, when he was here for the apologetics conference. Yeah. Um, and uh, we, Leighton gave me a little illustration about the difference between deluding and deceiving. Because I argue in the book that there's a difference between those two. To delude somebody is to is to make it impossible for them to see what is true or what is real. To deceive somebody is to is to actively cause them to believe something that is false. And those two are not the same thing. And the the uh, analogy that Leighton just spontaneously came up with that night as we were talking about it was that suppose I'm a a, a police officer. And and I, I have a speed trap going. And I'm actually hiding in the bushes. I'm hiding my car in the bushes and the people can't see me. And they're seeing a speed limit sign that says speed limit 50 and they're going 60. And I'm making it so they don't know that I'm there. Mm -hmm. So what I, I could be, we could say that I'm deluding the drivers because I am making it appear as though I'm not there because I'm hiding. I'm hiding the truth from them. And so if I stop them for speeding, then I haven't deceived them. I've only deluded them. They, were, they weren't aware that I was there. And so it's okay. I, can, I can stop them and I can give them a ticket. Mm -hmm. But if I were to go out to the speed limit sign and I were to, to paint over the speed limit sign so that it says speed limit 80 instead of speed limit 50, mm -hmm. and then go hide in the bushes and then I stop people for going over the speed limit, they could say, hey, but, but the sign said speed limit 80. Mm -hmm. In that case, I've actually deceived them because I caused them to believe that the speed limit was 80, whereas the true speed limit was actually 50. Mm -hmm. And so what God does not do in this passage in, Th in 2 Thessalonians, he does not actually cause people to hold false beliefs. He sends them a delusion, which makes it difficult for them to see the truth. But that was already after they had already been deceived by the wicked one. It was wickedness and it was Satan who deceived. It wasn't God. Right. Now, unless you want to say that God and Satan are the same person, then the text obviously does not tell us that God actively or causally deceives people. Um, so and, and this is something that that it's easy to miss if you don't really sit down and study the text and go through it, go through it with a fine tooth comb. This is something that happens time and time again with a lot of the verses that Calvinists use to try to establish the possibility that God deceives people. Um, but I, I think Stratton's argument is extremely powerful, and and I, he does he does focus on believers. He do, he says yes, God does cause believers to hold false beliefs. Um, if he is a deity of deception. Um, but it's, it's also, he deceives all of humanity, whether believers or non-believers. So at the end of the day, God deceives all human beings because all human beings hold false beliefs. And if God determines all those false beliefs, then God is a deity of deception, you know? Yeah. Um, right on. So I, 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 I hope that's easy to follow, you know? Um, 
but you know it's it's very easy very easy to conclude that god is a deity deception by reading that passage and by reading the other passages mm -hmm. especially the passage about ahab going out against um you know going out against uh gilead or uh, ramoth i can't remember who the who he was fighting but um god sends a deceiving spirit or mm -hmm. a lying spirit mm -hmm. and the lying spirit is what deceived ahab and so a lot of times the calvinist will show or will use that verse to show or that passage to show that god deceived ahab into believing that he would be victorious if he went out to battle um but it wasn't god who deceived it was the lying spirit who deceived and so that was something that um that falls into the category or the the ideology of libertarian free will quite nicely because we can talk about secondary causes we can talk about things that god can use to accomplish his purposes but doesn't perpetrate to accomplish his purposes mm -hmm. um and so that's another example and in in all these cases um there's two things that we have to notice first of all god can sometimes delude people but that's not the same as deceiving people and secondly what is deceiving people is actually not god but it is a secondary agency either either wickedness or satan or a lying spirit or something like that um and and so there's always this disconnect in scripture between um between god actually causing something and god allowing something in order to fulfill his purposes sure right on thank you for that phil uh, i want to bring jordan in uh, at this point jordan is there anything that you'd like to add uh, to what Phil was saying about this passage, because I know you like going over Calvinistic proof texts, and this was one of them that I would argue uh, whenever I was a Calvinist as well. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this passage. Yeah, I mean, as far as Second Thessalonians, that the, the passage there goes, I think the significant thing there, kind of at the heart of it, is that that phrase, uh, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just have a hard time personally. I have a hard time seeing how this with, with that standing in the midst of this text could be used as a Calvinism proof text just for that statement alone, because it hinges God's what God does uh, in this deluding influence at ascent is, is explicitly said to be a response to this prior choice that was made a rejection of light. And I just see what I see being said here uh, personally is, is kind of this principle that I think we see running throughout scripture. I think we see it show up in the gospel of John uh, on several occasions, but in John 12, um, like starting verse uh, 35, uh, it says, then Jesus said to them a little while longer, the light is with you walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. And so it, it, Jesus is kind of setting up this principle that, hey, there are these these moments, these, uh, I think, I think it would be similar to, I think Peter references like a, the, a day of visitation uh, he talks about in, in, in Revelation, it references how Jezebel was given a space of time to repent. And so there's God gives light. He, he comes as light. He gives 
uh, he, he sends out his word. And that light is like this enabling influence. Uh, I think you could almost think of it as this, like the, the opposite of this diluting influence. It's like an influence of truth that compels you to, to turn. It's Isaiah 55, come, come to the waters, come to the light, uh, anyone who is thirsty. And, but Jesus then emphasizes that, hey, like this light isn't going to be here forever. This doesn't just, it this doesn't stay like this. And in this instance, Jesus himself was the personification of that light, the word of God, the communication of God right there in their presence saying, I, I'm here. The light is here. What are you going to do with it now? And, and I'm not going to be here forever, though. This light will be withdrawn. And when it's withdrawn, you will be once again in darkness if you have not responded correctly to that light while you had the light. And so if you if you take that principle into Second Thessalonians, I think it works perfectly. These people who had the truth, they refused to receive a love of the truth. They refused to believe in the light and so become children of light. So what happens? Well, that light is removed. And what happens if the light's removed? Well, you're back in darkness again. You're, you're under a diluting influence. You can't see. You can't see God hiding behind the speed trap anymore like you could have before and made a decision to, to change your, your path. Yeah, and like so that. I just think, I think this is just a, a principle that, that there is light and how you respond to that light, you know, will determine what, what, what follows, but that light doesn't stay there forever. And if you stubbornly refuse and reject it, over and over again, it's Proverbs, where, where Proverbs 1, where wisdom says, I stretched out my hand all day long, all day long, I said, come. And because you refused, because you did not listen, now calamity will overtake you. A storm, you know, the storms of calamity and destruction will come upon you. Um, and so it's just this principle. God gives light. He gives us, he gives us time to repent. And this even kind of gets into this idea that you know, oh, the Calvinists would accuse us of, of kind of saying, oh, so you're just saying people can just kind of conjure up faith out of themselves. They can just up and believe at any point whenever they want. And I would say, well, well, no, I do think there are there are these moments, these days of visitation, the, these these emphases of, of God giving this light. And then we have that ability within that to respond to what God is revealing and speaking to us. But then there are those natural consequences of you know if god removes light you will be in darkness it's just mm -hmm. that's just how it works um and so i i think that principle fits perfectly yeah, with with what's happening in second thessalonians yeah and uh, and also you know verse 11 says for this reason god sends them a powerful delusion and so what is the reason well the reason is in verses 9 and 10. so it, it's it's not like like at the outset, prior to all these things happening, God decides that he's going to deceive people. And here's how he's going to deceive them. And he's, this is what he's going to deceive them into believing. He's going to deceive them into believing the lie. And he's going to cause them to believe the lie. But that's not what this passage is teaching. Right. Passages, this is God's response. And I, I know the Calvinists do not like the term response. God does not respond. Um, but it says, in the text, for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they might believe the lie. Now, they will; they can believe the lie because they've been deluded and kept from, from knowing the truth, but it was they who started the whole process. 
In, in, verses, in verse 10, it says that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. And then it says they perish because they refused to love the truth. So this is a choice that human beings made. So God set the delusion because of the choice they made. And they and it was wickedness that deceived them. So so this is this is just a million miles away from the whole concept that that this verse teaches that God deliberately and causally deceives people into believing what's false. It just 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 not there. It's not what this verse is saying. Right. And I, I would just encourage anybody who might wrestle with that verse, go to John John 12, uh, 35 through 36, go to Proverbs 1 verses 20 through 33. Uh, and there's many other places where you, you see this principle, you know, Proverbs where it says, wisdom says, because I have called and you refused, I've stretched out my hand and no one regarded. You disdained all my counsel. You would have none of my rebuke. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm. And your destruction comes like a whirlwind and and it goes on and, and there's there's more there on 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 both the, the aspect of wisdom crying out and all that is done in that effort to to give that light and to compel though the passers-by to come and then there's there's more behind it of what follows when they don't but i would just say if somebody's wrestling with that verse go look at these passages and just ask yourself if you think that this principle might might be a good explanation of what is is happening in in second thessalonians so a couple points i'd like to make real quick um to the first thing that you said jordan this is cyprian of carthage on this passage and i think you'll like it and so i'm reading i'm reading this for for you uh but he says the cyprian of carthage quote nevertheless the profound gloom of the falling darkness has so blinded the hearts of some that they receive no light from the wholesome precepts, but once turned away from the direct path of the true way, they are hurried headlong and suddenly by the night an error of their sins. And so to, to go and, and to stay with the analogy of the light and the darkness, uh, Cyprian picks up on that very thing that you were just talking about and says that that applies to this passage as well. Uh, another thing, is that in in Irenaeus, uh, Saint Irenaeus of Lyons, he says uh, he he's thinking the same thing that I am. So I want to say that, and even if this, uh, let me make sure that this is not a participle. Uh, no, it's a verb. So so will send that in the Greek is actually not a future; it's a present. And now, granted, I, I'm not, I haven't done like Greek exegetical study of this passage. I'm just speaking off the top, just looking at this. Um, but what's interesting is that, and in, in, again, to, to this point, Irenaeus agrees. Uh, he says this, speaking of Antichrist too, speaking of Antichrist too, he says clearly in the set in in second uh, to the Thessalonians in the second letter to the Thessalonians, and for this cause God shall send them the working of error that they should believe a lie, that they will that they all might be judged who believe not the truth, but consented to iniquity. And so, what is happening in verse eleven to me is not some separate event that comes later on down the road, but the sending of the strong delusion is the 
Antichrist is this and what what is described in verse nine, the coming of the lawless one that's in accord with the working of Satan. That's the delusion because it says again with all power signs lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception uh, among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, what Jordan was just saying, uh, God sends them this strong delusion that they should believe the lie and that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And this was one of the things. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and, and I want to stress, it's, it's very important that we notice that um, it says God sends the powerful delusion so that they might believe the lie. We have to be careful not to conclude that the delusion is what caused them to believe the lie. Right. It's not. But it's right. very easy to, to conclude that if you read the passage in haste and don't slow down and actually read it carefully. Now understand it carefully. Um, the the delusion did not cause people to believe the lie. The deception of wickedness is what caused them to believe the lie. The delusion just made it so that they would believe the lie on their own, and it didn't stop them from believing the lie. Mm-hmm. So that's extremely important for us to understand, because again, this this passage can be used and twisted very easily. Um, and the reason that it it's it's so powerful, and that the reason that it's so easy to understand it that way is because if you come to it from an antecedent predisposition toward toward determinism and toward the idea that god deceives people then um it's just it's just so easy to to draw that conclusion and it's just simply not in the text mm-hmm. um so uh and it, it could have been otherwise i i i really want to repeat the fact that that there's mm-hmm. nothing in in Second Thessalonians that tells us that these that these were not freedom permitting circumstances, that these people refused to love the truth. So it was their choice. It wasn't God's choice. It was their choice, and God was judging him for the choice they made. So He sent them a delusion so that they would go ahead and believe the lie that they had already been deceived into believing because they refused to love the truth. Mm-hmm. So that causal connection has to be avoided you know right and right now so if i could add one thing here because i th- think i think romans one would be would be amiss to not bring that into the picture here too because what another clear place where you see this principle show up where you have people with the knowledge of god the knowledge of god is made manifest to them because god has shown it to them the invisible things of him have been known from the creation of the world and the wrath of God is revealed because even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or were thankful. They, they became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened. So God gave them up. He gave them up to it. He withdrew the light, the light of that knowledge that they had. He said, if you don't want it, I will take it back and you can be left to your delusions in the darkness. And so, yeah, this isn't, this isn't God causing the deception or doing the deceiving. It's him giving them up over to it as a natural consequence of choices they had made prior. And so this is just another place where I think Romans 1, Proverbs 1, John 12, 
uh, and so many others that this, this principle, I think, is just made very clear. God doesn't just arbitrarily or randomly, or even I would say doesn't even mysteriously, the Bible doesn't leave it as a mystery as to what kind of people God allows or sends these deluding influences to. It's not a mystery. It's not like, well, God's just sovereign and he just, he chooses who are you old man to question. No, every single time I would say, unless you can think of one where it's not indicated why he does so, you see it laid out very clearly what takes place leading up to God then giving this deluding influence or sending them this deluding influence or withdrawing the light, giving them over to the, the destruction. It's never yep. arbitrary or, or mysterious. It's because it's specifically explicitly laid out in these, these moments. It's because of prior choices that were made to reject the light that had been given. And because of that rejection of light, that persistent refusal to believe, the light is taken away. And, and so this is a principle that I think is just so clearly, repeatedly established in these places um, that, again, I just think it, it, it makes a lot of sense to take these into to Second Thessalonians to kind of help understand what's happening here. Yeah. God never, and I mean never, he never does anything like this by fiat. And that's what the Calvinists would have you believe, that God does this by fiat. He doesn't. God does this for specific reasons, like you said. But speaking of Romans 1, verse 29 says, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. And then he goes on to describe their depravity even more by saying they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Hmm. So deceit, deceit is wickedness. Deceit is evil. Deceit is depravity, according to Romans 1, 29. So if God deceives people, that means that God is wicked. God is evil. God is depraved. Because it is, it is, it is wicked and evil and depraved for people to deceive others. And, and that's exactly what is, you know, what's what this verse is saying. So if if God deceives people, then God is wicked, evil, and depraved. Guys, I apologize. I just got kicked out of my own studio. So <laughs> I'm sorry. My internet, I'm telling you, it's crazy. And so I, what's, what's, That's all right. well, if I get kicked out, y'all just keep going because this is, this is really good stuff. Um, but I do want to, I, I do want to transition here in just a second. And so I apologize. I missed what was uh, said last, but before I do, just so everybody, you know, is on the same page in our audience. Uh, I've given, you know, early church father commentary. I want to give just real quick on, on second Thessalonians, uh, a commentary that someone that specifically I have not heard of and yet. And so uh, this is interesting to me very much so because this comes from the year, uh, 1000 and I'm going to know, I know I'm going to butcher this name, but I'm going to give it a shot at Featland of in eating. That th This is coming from him, uh, but this says this, quote, Note that the apostle did not hesitate to say that God sends to them the working of error, since then God is said to send it when he allows to send it with the devil. For God permits the devil to do this, notice that, God permits the devil to do this with a just and hidden judgment, because he acts unjust and even and uneven intention. But what follows 
who have not believed in the truth is similar to that passage of the same apostle, because though they knew God, they did not worship him as God or give him thanks. Romans one twenty one, And right after that, quote, for the or for that reason, God gave them over to a reprobate frame of mind that they may do those things which are not fitting. Note that they didn't already have the reprobate mind. They were given over to that state mm-hmm. um, as judgment. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. we must note that those who were judged shall be deceived secretly by the just judgments of God, whom God himself did not cease to judge since the beginning of the sin of the rational creature. Even those who were described and led astray shall be justified at the last and open judgment of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who having been judged most unjustly, shall judge most justly. And I thought that did a really good job of tying in, you know, what you guys were saying with Romans 1 and showing that this is the consistent interpretation of the church throughout the early church in the year 200 to down to the year 1000. Um, this is the same kind of interpretation word it different. Yes. But you hear this, um, this unanimous understanding that God is not the one causing the, uh, the deception rather he allows and permits the devil through the antichrist to do this. 